Hey guys, welcome back to Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is is a special interview for me. For me, um, it's gonna it's gonna change worlds and change people's lives. My friend Paul has an amazing story. He's a speaker. He's an author. He's a producer. He's got so many accolades, and we'll get in, all into that. But most of all, he's a child of God, and he's trying to change the world by helping children that are being trafficked and women that are being trafficked around the world. You might've seen this little movie. It made it a dollar or two called sound of freedom. Um, and we're going to be talking about that, but Paul, my brother, welcome to Richard. the show. And thank you so much. It's an honor, honor to be on here to share with your audience. I love it. And before we even get started, I want to give a shout out to my brother, Eric. If you guys don't know Eric Allen. You need to know Eric Allen. One of my best friends and my brother in Christ. If you haven't checked out his episode with with Paul, check it out at, at Eric's podcast. Um, so thank you, Eric. You know, before we even get started, what is your definition of resiliency? Resiliency. <clears throat> you know what? I'm going to give that definition to the kids that bounce back after being in a place that was so dark and so difficult. In fact, um, I want to start with one story that that's not known. Um, in fact, I only heard this story a few weeks ago. I was talking with one of my, one of my dearest friends, Joseph. He was a, uh, one of the undercover operators on the Columbia rescue, the one that sound of freedom was based around. And, uh, he was, he's a, a Krav Maga trainer, one of the best in the world, an amazing, amazing man. And he, he was tasked to be, uh, be there as security on one of the boats of the children that were being brought from the mainland to this Island where we're going to have this supposed sex party. We're bringing all the traffickers there. And these traffickers have brought 54 children. And there was two massive boats. Uh, Joseph talks about it. You know, he, he realizes the magnitude of the problem when these boats the size of school buses were completely filled with these kids. And as they were coming out, there were, uh, there were some older kids that were in their, their late teens. And there were some younger children who were, some of them, being trafficked for the first time. Or this was, you know, they had only been being trafficked for a month or two. And, um, and they were obviously scared, really scared. And he said that, that, that a couple of the older children huddled the younger ones together. He didn't know what they were saying because the boat was super loud. He said, but then he saw them all holding hands. <clears throat> And one of the older children bowed his head and offered up a prayer. I don't know what the words were said, but I'm sure it was a prayer of comfort, a plea to God to ease their suffering. And little did they know that that prayer was already being answered. That there were good men and women that were answering the call 
of God there on that island waiting for them to come. And they weren't going to have to go through that hell. The resiliency of those older children in holding on to a connection with God in their darkest hour was something that we all can turn to. We all can say, okay, I don't see a way out. I don't, I don't, I, I've been here before and it's really dark and it's really ugly and it's really hard and I don't, I don't see a way out, but I'm asking, I'm pleading for a miracle. That's what happened that day. And I think all of us can learn from the faith of those children that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There are good people that are they're heeding to the call of God that are making this world a better place and that we all can look forward to a life of freedom where we can all voice that, that sound of freedom. The sound of freedom, it's not just the sound of the, the children that were being rescued at the time in Colombia. It was wasn't there just their singing. It should be for a, a, a battle cry for all of us to take a look at the areas in our life that we are in slavery, our addictions to pornography, our addictions to alcohol, our, our clinging on to the trauma of our own childhood or the things that we've done of our in our past, our sins, all of those things, everything can be washed away. We can all voice that sound of freedom and move forward into a brand new life with the help of God. And, and I love it. And like we were talking before I got on camera, there's only two movies and I'm a big TV buff and movie buff. There's only two movies that ever affected me really hard. And the one was, um, American sniper, uh, the Chris Kyle story. And that's why I wear this hat. Cause I promised his wife that I would always honor Chris. Um, that's why I wear the hat and and she knows that. And that's why I'm not going bold, obviously, but uh, that's why I wear the hat. But after I watched your movie and his movie is the only time I've ever just sat there and felt beat up. I felt like I was slapped around. I was in the closet. I think like so many millions of people are not even knowing what's really happening around the world. I mean, we've heard it here. Epstein Island, blah, everybody's making jokes. But I never realized how many children go missing every day in the world, not just the United States, but in the world, and how bad this, and like you said earlier, before we got on, it's an epidemic of what's going on. And a lot of people, a lot of my veteran friends are like, bro, you got to watch this movie. You got to watch the movie. And a lot of my vet veteran friends their uh, civilian counterparts were telling them, no, you don't need to watch a movie. It's all fake. It's all BS. And when I watched it and, and then when I talked, watch your episode and then I hung out, I talked with Eric, I couldn't believe, you know, how you guys, you know, how you were treated afterwards that they, they tried to jam you up. They tried to jam Tim up after this and it was a whole bunch of crap. So I think we're going to talk about that today. Well, tell us our people a little bit about you, where'd you come from, and how did you get involved in this whole crazy world? Well, I have a 
unique background. I've, um, I was in the business world. In fact, way back, I, as a child, I wanted to be a brain surgeon in the beginning. I was getting bullied by other kids. And I thought I came home, told my mom, I wanted to be a brain surgeon to help fix how people think. And I, I changed that to wanting to become a heart surgeon. I think intuitively I realized that the only way to fix the brain is to fix the heart in, in things like that. And I, I continued, I, I actually went all the way through all of my pre-med classes in, in high school and, and in college. And I was a couple months away from taking the MCAT. I got in a major car accident and I severed the tendons in my hand. And they said, Paul, you can be a regular doctor. I said, I don't, I don't want to be a regular anything. You know, I didn't want to be a doctor. I want to be a surgeon, not a regular surgeon, but a heart surgeon, and not even a regular heart. I wanted to be a, a heart surgeon who operated on children. I wanted to be a pediatric cardiologist. And, and that kind of dashed those dreams. So I changed my major to business and finance and ended up building some pretty successful companies. And um, in the process, I, I always intuitively felt like I would be involved in a war in some way. And I honor the good men and women in law enforcement and who have served in the military, anybody who puts their life in danger for the safety of mine and my family deserves my respect. And I, I've been trained by a lot of them. I've been really good friends with a lot of Navy SEALs and Green Berets and other, other uh, Krav Maga agents. In fact, uh, you know, one is one good friend. He, uh, he's trained the CIA, FBI, even the Homeland, Homeland Security and, and Secret Service on, on how to neutralize a threat using everything from uh, from a comb to a handkerchief right and he's very 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 good and we've trained a bunch with him so these were all fun things that i did over the years and and uh and i knew how to handle myself in a dangerous place but fast forward i was i was in the in the financial sense i was a jeffrey epstein Okay. I, I, I had run, I was running a, a large investment fund that I had, I had helped to co-found and I was a big part of it, raising money at a big, arrogant uh, attitude about life, lots of money, lots of uh, parties. And, uh, you know, I was never doing any illegal things. I was never attracted to minors, none of that, but I had big parties at my house with beautiful women and lots of, you know, and, and it wasn't in line integrity wise with the man that I really am and my connection with God. And, and uh, but um, I was the perfect candidate for a role. Uh, I got a call about 10 years ago from the attorney general in Utah and, and uh, a Homeland Security agent that that uh, Jim Caviezel plays in the movie. And um, I was told about these children that were being sold for sex in this trafficking ring in, in Colombia. And they needed like $50,000 to help rescue these kids. And I, I had donated a lot of money to child-related charities. I was on the Make-A-Wish board of directors in the area. I was the incoming chairman for Make-A-Wish in, in the area when I, uh, when I got this call. And, um, and I thought, you know, $10,000 with Make-A-Wish, I can, I can send a little girl to Disneyland for, with her family, which is important. She's struggling with cancer. And, and, and that dream helps her to get a new hope in life and in, in overcoming her illnesses. But, you know, 50,000 here, we could pull 20 children out of hell and get, get them back to their families. So, you know, we helped make that happen, introduced them to some people. And then a few weeks later, I got a phone call um, from the Homeland Security agent. He said, Paul, he said, I, I'm here in Cartagena. There's not just 20 children 
here. There's more than 50 and there's there's more than 100 children in other areas that are, that are tied to these different trafficking rings. He said, we have a plan that we could rescue all 100 children on the same day at the same time. He said, if we don't do this, there's there's a chance that the other traffickers would hear if we rescue 20 at a time and they would take their kids in a place where we couldn't identify them. He said, but we have a plan. We could rescue all of them, but I but I need your help to pull it off. And I, I said, well, how much do you need? He said, I need you. Can you be in Colombia in two days? He said, I have to have somebody who can play the role of a wealthy real estate investor. He said, the head trafficker down here has a piece of property he wants to develop into a child brothel sex resort. He needs a few million dollars to do it. He believes he could make tens of millions of dollars a year selling children to Americans. He said, if you're willing to fly down here, convince him that you're willing to look at that project under one condition. He has a party in a couple weeks. You bring all your rich friends who are into that kind of thing. And uh, if you're happy with the inventory he has, and they already identified that he had over 50 during through his, his network in that immediate area alone. He said, if he brings all the inventory he currently has, then you'll consider funding his project if you're happy. So two days later, I'm I'm in Colombia. I'm, I'm face to face with the most evil people on the planet. And... Um, halfway through this meeting in this, this restaurant one of the traffickers leans forward and he says pablo he said i have a gift for you i said really what's your gift he hands me his phone and there's a picture of an 11 year old girl on his phone he said this is princess she's still a virgin we just took delivery of some she's my gift for you for this party and he started talking about horrible things I could do to this little girl. In the movie, my character is played by, by uh, Eduardo Verasti. He's the, the wealthy real estate investor that, that uh, the Homeland Security agent's like, okay, yeah, we need, it. We need to get uh, Pablo here so he can help fund it and play this role. I'm Pablo in real life. And the only way that I, I turned him down in the movie, I didn't want to go. And then he gave a picture to my, my driver. And when I see this picture of this little girl, it convinced me to go. In real life, I was already there. I was, I only had two days to get there. And I went down as, as me, as Paul Hutchinson, not as an undercover anything. I went down as this wealthy real estate investor. And But what galvanized my commitment to help save those children is when he leaned forward and handed me that picture of that little girl. And I thought, well, this is really happening. These guys are selling me 10, 11, 12-year-old children for sex. This has to stop. So I can continue during the actual rescue. In fact, I'll just touch on that really quickly. Two weeks later, we fly back in. The Our, our guys met with the, the Homeland Security guys, met with the, the, the federal agents that were there in the area, the Colombian ones, the, the U.S. Embassy. Uh, Colombia provided a bunch of agents, like 40 agents for us. Four of them were our maids, our waiters, our cooks. You know, they're not very good cooks, but they're armed. 25 were there to storm the party at the right, right time. And um, these guys brought 54 children. Almost every one of them were under the age of 16 years old. Many of them were, were taken from other, other countries as well. And, um, and we put the children in a separate part of the house. They were already traumatized enough. We don't want them seeing the money changing hands and the, the guns coming in, et cetera. And um, 
one of the traffickers got up and he said, Pablo, I have to show you the gifts that I brought you. And he went in the house where the children are and, and we could hear a few of the children crying. They were so scared of coming out and meeting these men who were going to defile them. And pretty soon he came out with four virgins, scared to death. Three little girls, one little boy. This little boy, they gave him, he was 11. They gave him cocaine that morning because he was so scared it was going to hurt. What kind of monster thinks that that's attractive in any way? And this little girl, the same one he showed me on the picture. Yes, in real life, she was she was there at the party, the one that he showed me in the picture that we were going after. And um, she was standing there in front of me. I'm sitting down on a chair. She was standing up. She wasn't much taller than I was, so I was looking directly into her eyes. And all I could see was fear. And I asked her her name. I said, Komoteyama. She didn't know her name. I'm sure it's because her real name wasn't Princess. She was trying to figure out what she should say. And I said, Estebian, it's okay. I told the traffickers, it's not time for the party to start. We still need to negotiate some things. Send the girls back in. Send the kids back in. But that moment, when I looked into her eyes, I made a commitment to myself, to God, and that child that I would dedicate my life to eradicating that evil from the face of the earth. And we, they weren't supposed to tell the children that we were the good guys. And I don't, maybe they said something. The most beautiful moment of my life was after the agents came, stormed the party, arrested everybody, child protective services, people came in with the children and they started laughing. They started singing. And that sound of freedom of them singing compared to the, the, the crying we heard half an hour before that sound of freedom was the most beautiful sound that I ever heard. I started crying. I turned to the, the government agent that was with us. I said, I, I, I spent my whole life making money, making rich people richer. I want to make a difference. I, 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 I want to help. How can I help? And, uh, and he said, Paul, he said, I, I can't teach my, some of my Navy SEALs had to wear a $50,000 watch and a multi-million dollars, you know, business transaction conversations, whatever. He said, he said, oh, we've got some amazing men and women that have served in the military. He said, they will offer up protection, but we need somebody who can play a role of this wealthy partier that, that we can pull these, these parties together. And so I continued. He said, if you're willing to be the bait, I'll change your whole life. So for the next 10 years... I continued doing undercover work and working hand in hand with these great men and women in, in uh, former military guys. And um, I helped lead or play a key part in over 70 undercover rescue missions in 15 countries. And I have seen the pit of hell. I have seen children in the most horrific situations that you can imagine. It is real. And the only thing required for evil to flourish is for you and I, for the good people who are listening right now, for good men and women to do nothing. If we can stand up and protect our children, protect this next generation, then we can eradicate child trafficking for good. Uh, as a father of three, uh, like I said, I just, it, it just hits me in my heart. Um, I wrote some things down because... I'm not ignoring you, but I'm writing things down because stuff that I really want to touch on. Um, first of all, you talked about how these 
they're not I wouldn't even consider people. Children were just inventory. They weren't children, they weren't boys and girls, they were inventory. And then when you said they were delivering the inventory, it's like they they're not even the kids don't even exist in their eyes. No. What was that like? When the first, because because obviously you if you see it you know but the first time you experience something like that, and how did you not just rip their throats? You know, look, look at it like, what'd you say? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm, sure that, I'm, I'm sure that had to. It didn't because that's not the way we talk. But I'm, yeah, so I'm, exactly. I'm sure that second it didn't well, click. Well, that they when that trafficker showed me that first picture, that was my first real interaction with seeing a traffic child. And there was a there was a Navy SEAL um, that was standing behind me uh, named Dutch. Good, good, good man. And he um, he was he was there as my real bodyguard and my show bodyguard. Right. And this rich guy coming down to, to do this party, whatever. And he looked down and he saw that picture of that little girl and he he excused himself. He said, hey, guys, I need to you know, check, take a look around the neighborhood or the, the restaurant, make sure everything is all safe. And he took a walk around later when we were debriefing. He said, that little girl looked like my child at home. He said, I almost unholstered my weapon right there and, and shot him in the head. He said, I, I just, it made me so angry that they would treat them like that. And fast forward, now understand, I thought that I, that I would, when I was going down there, I thought, okay, traffickers, what do they look like? They probably have, you know, tattoos all over their face and three earrings and all this stuff. No, the first trafficker I met was a businessman in a polo shirt, clean shaven had a piece of property that he had inherited he wanted to develop into this brothel the second one was a beautiful woman she was running a uh this 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 fake modeling agency and bringing these children in and and it was it was horrific and i realized that the common thread and this is over the last 10 years the common thread with these traffickers was not was not they were all on cocaine wasn't that they all had tattoos on their faces no the common thread is that they all had massive degrees of greed and arrogance. Greed to the point where money was more important to them than, than the safety of other people, the, 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 of the children especially, where arrogance put them in a place where they thought that they were better than somebody else. In fact, I realized as I, as I looked around, and there were even people that were involved with us that were part of some of the rescue missions, that this stuff all went to their head and it went into this arrogance. I realized you're playing in the same energy as these traffickers. In fact, to be frank and honest, it's the reason why I was brought in is because these traffickers are used to dealing with people like Jeffrey Epstein's, these big, arrogant assholes that can write whatever check. Now, it's not just them. There, there's, there's people of all socioeconomic levels that are, that are trafficking children. We'll talk about that. But in every single case, it's a level of arrogance where you see your needs above somebody else's. And yourself above the very second, the very second that we look at another human being as an object, then we're going down the dark road. Now, I'm going to hit on it right here. Every single person that's listening to us right now has seen pornography. That's not, not going to mean that you're going to become a pedophile. But every one of these guys started out with an addiction 
a hardcore addiction that led to something harder than like a hard drug. They needed something harder to have that same fix. And for some of them, harder was a little bit younger, a little bit younger. Pretty soon they're fantasizing about things they wouldn't have even thought was attractive five years ago. And then they're acting out on these horrific fantasies. And people are saying, well, you know, I, I, I can control myself. You know, I don't, I don't go that dark, whatever else, but look at your life over the last five years. Did it start with softcore pornography and it, then it went hardcore and now you're looking at rape videos? The, the second that we indulge in something that is unfulfilling like drugs, like, like hardcore drugs, like pornography, et cetera, that, that we get addicted, especially when we're, we're looking at another human being as a commodity, then we're playing in that same energy as these guys who are trafficking children. So we can't just look back and just point fingers and say, those guys are evil and I'm good. We need to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing to contribute to the negativity globally of what's happening with humanity, if that makes sense? And then what happened, what really crossed the line for me is when I said, you guys are, when, when he had shown me that picture of that little girl and, and he said, you know, she's still a virgin. I said, now you're bringing, you have other virgins. You said you had took, you just got in some new, new inventory. You, you're bringing those too. He goes, oh no. He said, they're too expensive. I said, they're too, too I'm, I'm already paying 25,000 to this guy, $25,000 for this party, I'm paying $500 per child just for two, to, to, for minimum 50 children, just for two hours in the afternoon with them. He goes, Hefe, you already pay 25,000. You want to F the, you want to fuck these other virgins? You, it's it's going to cost you extra 2,000, maybe 5,000 for that little one. It's going to cost you maybe $10,000 more. I was legitimately mad at him. I let my arrogance show through full force. I, I have a, I have a $50,000 watch on. I've got a nice suit. I put my hands on my chest and I say, you don't think I can afford an extra $10,000? He said, oh no, Hefe, no. I said, I want every one of those virgins at my party. I said, they damn well better be virgins when they get there. They're not for you. They're for me. You understand? He goes, oh yeah, Hefe, I understand the stupid smile on his face. But then the female trafficker leans forward. She goes, oh, no. She says, we, you know, she's speaking in Spanish. This is behind a translator talking through here. But she said, oh, no, we can't bring the virgins. And for a second, I thought that she had a heart. I thought, oh, wow, this is interesting. She doesn't want to bring them. She's scared that they're. And she goes, no. She said, she said I have to, we have to get them ready. We have to show them pornography. We have to show them set live sex acts. She said, and, and, and uh, uh, we're, we're going to give them drugs when they get there. But they're probably going to cry. And it, but if you're okay, if they cry while they're being raped, basically, then, then I'm okay with bringing them. And I realized she had no heart whatsoever. She was just worried that me and my buddies at this party would be concerned if the children were being, were crying while they were being raped. And so, and I saw this over and over again, Richard, the, 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 the one of the most difficult ones I was in Dominican Republic. There was a, a trafficker who was an escaped U.S. He was an escaped convict from a U.S. prison. And, uh, and he had introduced us to a woman, a mother, who was selling her own children. She had a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old. And she was selling them for $10,000 each. She thought that I was taking them to Miami to work in an underage brothel or whatever in Miami. And for her, having $20,000 meant the world instead of having to deal with those two children. And what broke my heart is when this, this, this felon gets me on the phone with this mother. He had brought the children so we could see him and she wanted to talk to us. And she said, 
She said, you have to make me a promise. If you, if you buy my girls and take them to do what they're going to do, she said, you have to make me a promise. And I thought there would be some kind of compassion coming through. I thought that she would say, you know, just be nice to him, take care of him, whatever. I said, yeah, what, what promise? What promise? She said, you need to promise me that when you're done with them, you need to be done with them. She said, I don't want this ever coming back on me. That was dark. I thought, what has humanity gotten? What, what, what kind of a point have we, we gotten to where we, where we think that, that it's okay to traffic your own children for money? And we all, like, like I say, we all sit back on these high horses saying, oh, I wouldn't do that. But you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself, what degrees of arrogance and greed are affecting other people's lives in some way right now? How are we playing in that same energy and how can we heal humanity from that, from that evil? Well, and now I don't want to sound disrespectful at all because that's not, I am, that's not the way I am, but it's the only way I can get it across. Um, I'm from New Jersey. My wife's full brother is Italian. My father's Sicilian. And they, they use the word rat. A lot. So how did you survive 10 years in doing what you're doing undercover without being found out? I think that's amazing by itself because I love the movie Donnie Brasco and, and I've talked to Donnie Brasco. And it's amazing how you got you didn't get caught in 10 years of helping that many kids. And what was that like knowing for 10 years? 24 hours a day, seven weeks, seven, seven, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The jig can be up and your life will be snuffed out. They, they don't care about a kid. They sure as hell ain't going to care about you. So what sure. was that like? And also, I don't know if you've ever been asked this before, but a lot of um, veterans, first responders, a lot of us deal with post-traumatic stress. A lot of us deal with survivor's guilt because of the ones that we couldn't help. So talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit. I don't think that really gets talked a lot about, especially when people like yourself are helping all these people out that when you're, when you're alone at night and you're in the, middle, in, <laughs> in the middle of the night and you're having nightmares, if you do, you might not, but I know a lot of people struggle with that. Um, so if you wouldn't mind talking about that. Absolutely. So first of all, when we, uh, when we when we did one of these missions, um, me and the other operators, we were taken out in handcuffs. The bad guys don't even know that we had anything to do with it. We uh, they think that we got extradited to the U.S. to stand trial. Number one, number two, especially in Latin America, a lot of these organizations weren't well networked. They were, uh, you know, the uh, one of my operators said that he was he was talking to um, uh, the drug lord in the area, and the drug lord said, "Listen, I, I I don't you don't you may not agree with how I do business, but I've got children of my own, and those guys are evil, and I'm going to kill them." And if I do, you've got a whole bunch of little children. You don't know where they are. Or I tell you what I know. You guys go in. You pull those kids out, get them back to their families. You uh, you make sure he goes to jail, and I'll take care of it from there. So, you know, there's from uh, just like here in the U.S., the, the, the guys who are abusing children, there's a pecking order in the prison system, right? They have to separate them from the bank robbers and the, and the murderers, et cetera, mm -hmm. because they'll, they'll take them out. And so, yep. so that, 
that was that was a level of safety in and of itself. So these guys are trafficking kids, or they're they're they are not the. Uh, yes, they would kill us in a heartbeat if they knew who we were. And there were a number of cases where they were super dangerous guys, like that one I just told you about. This was an ex-con uh, uh, that had escaped from the U.S., etc. So, yes, there's a lot of bad guys like that. I will say this. Um, two two quick stories. The very first phone call that I got, my business partner called me about an hour later after he heard what I was going to do. And he said, Paul, he says, have you, have you thought this through? He said, you're, this is dangerous. He said, you're set. You could, you could sell out your business, buy an island, be happy the rest of your life. I said, hey, would I really be happy if I bought an island, if I bought a yacht, if I bought a, you know, jet, whatever. I said, if I was doing something else dangerous, if I was climbing Everest, you and I would have the same conversation. He said, yeah, we probably would. I said, and when I'm 95 years old and I look back on my life, I tell people I, I, I climbed this mountain and I helped build this, this big company and I helped rescue this many children from sex slavery. Which one of them matters at all? He said, yeah. He said, I see, I see where you're coming from. Now, I also will tell you this. I, um, I feel safer. In fact, I'll tell you this story because I think this is important from uh, an audience standpoint. I, I brought on a new team at one point and these guys hadn't worked with me before. And they were some, you know, some special for former special forces guys, et cetera. And it was about two in the morning. We hadn't found any real traffickers. And and um, I said, guys, can I take lead? Are you good with that? And they said, yeah, yeah. The, uh, Tim said, you're really good at this. I want to see, you know, how, how you handle it, how, how you find these kids. I said, all right. I said, you need to follow exactly what I say. I said, first things first, I need you to understand that I believe in God. I said, most people believe in a supreme being. Some people call God the, you know, the, the universe or, 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 you know, heavenly father, mother, Jehovah, even, you know, other religions may call him, you know, uh, uh, there, there's a lot of different words for God, right? I said, there's a higher power that I said, God exists and cares more about these children than you and I ever could and knows exactly where they are. So if you're okay with it, even if you're not okay with it, I'm going to start by asking for some help. So here we are in you know, downtown Port-au-Prince, Haiti, the darkest, most voodoo-infested place on the Western Hemisphere, and we take off our hats and offer up a prayer. Then I said, now I need you to understand how I see fear and faith. I said, most people think that faith is, is going to church and asking God to fix things in their life that they don't even believe are going to be fixed. I said, that's not faith. Faith, faith is a, it's a, it's a, it's one of the most powerful laws in the universe. And it's simply this, it's the unwavering conviction that what I want to have happen will happen because it's in line with God's will. And that power, that infinite power will come in and create anything, any miracle you can imagine. I said, I said, it's important to know that fear and faith cannot exist in the same person at the same time. The reason behind it, in, in, in some way, in some way, they're the same power. People who believe bad things will happen to them actually attract that into their life. People who believe good things will happen to them attract that into their life. I said, faith, faith is an alignment with God, an alignment with good. It's an alignment with all of the creation, everything that you want to put together and create in your life. I said, 
because of the fact that fear and faith don't exist together, I said, I feel safer here at two in the morning in this, this one of the highest murder capital areas of the of, in the world at the time. I said, I feel safer here than I do sitting in my office at home because I believe with every cell in my body, I believe that we are on God's mission. I think that God looks down and he sees, you know, what we're doing in our life, you know, you're, should I should I marry this woman? Should I, you know, go to this new job? And he, you adults deal with that. He sees what's happening with these children and says, no way. If I have good men and women willing to, to, to do the work, I'm going to pave the way. And, and, you know, as Jesus is my brother, hand in hand, we're able to go into the darkest places of hell. In fact, a few years ago for Halloween, I, I dressed up as an, as an angel in devil's clothing because that's how I felt for many years. I put on pure white shirt and pants and, you know, bright lights and even little angel wings, you know, on the inside. And I put this black cloak around the outside with this devil head and whatever else, because on the outside to the traffickers, that's what I looked like. But in the inside, I had to have that relationship with God. I had to have that solid foundation of faith in order to even survive in those areas. And most importantly, to be able to listen, listen to that still small voice of truth. I have a book coming out early next year called, Are You Listening With My Hand On My Heart? Not are you listening with my hand on my ear, but are you listening with my hand on my heart? Talking about how every one of my missions, every one of them, I felt a divine guidance to where the children were being held and to ways that we could keep our team safe. So that's a long answer to your question, but that is everything about keeping safe and, and feeling like we were truly on God's errand in finding these children. So now, when you would get home from these missions, because I, I love missions, I, I mission to God with this podcast. So, but a lot of times when we're in the military, I did 23 years, and we would get back from our mission and it'd be dead quiet. It'd be silence. And even if we, whatever, you know, whatever, if we won, whatever, we would still all go back to our racks or back to our bunks. When you think we'd be enjoying it, it got real quiet. And yeah. then a lot of us went to bed and a lot of us woke up because we might have lost somebody or, um, and we, and even now to this day, a lot of us still deal with that post-traumatic stress. A lot of us still deal with that, man, I, I I could I didn't save that one. Like for me, I've helped hundreds of thousands of people, but it still haunts me the two people that I lost that I didn't help. So talk about I don't know if you've struggled with any any mental health issues or any PTS, especially in the middle of the night when it's when it's only you and it's quiet and dark and you're alone with your thoughts. Yeah. I um not only myself, but a lot of my operators. I have a good friend who was a Green Beret who led over 300 uh, missions in the Middle East. And um, he's seen the worst that the world had to offer. So he thought in, uh, in serving in the military. And um, when he went on his first mission undercover to, uh, to find trafficked children, it rocked his world. It rocked his world. It was so heavy and it was, 
it, it made him sick to his stomach that this kind of thing is even happening. And um, that story I told you about the mother that was selling those two children is one of many that unfortunately, because of some hiccups in the mission where or some uh, some corrupt government officials or other things, we had to scrap the mission and those children were not able to be rescued in that one that that um, um, that ex-con actually got shot by another one of the traffickers and I didn't have the phone number of the mother that was selling her kids so you know he was fortunately taken out of the out of the picture but unfortunately we weren't able to identify those children and get them out and there was no way for us to find them and that was heavy because a mother that would sell her children and say, I, when you're done with them, I want you to be done with them. Those children need to be in a safe place. They need to be in a place that is not toxic with a mother like that. We need to help her heal or whatever we need to do. And we couldn't do that. And, and that was super difficult for a few of my operators in, in seeing it firsthand. Um, and I will say that um, that I it took me a while to change. It took me a couple years of being, you know, Paul F. and Hutchinson, you know, I've got the money and whatever. And I was brought into these operations because I had pictures of me with Lamborghinis and Ferraris and whatever. And the, the undercover operators needed to show this lifestyle of somebody who was who, who could write these big checks and whatever that was enticing these traffickers because they were used to the Jeffrey Epstein type people when they were doing these these these. Uh, these parties, so to speak. But after about a year and a half of doing that, I was asked to start doing the deep cover, uh, going two in the morning in downtown Mexico City or or other cities in 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 identifying the traffickers and seeing where they were holding the children. And and it, that was hard. It was dark. It was difficult. And and that's when I um, that's when I I really had a personal transformation. Now, I'll say this. I've um. I've changed my entire focus to helping to liberate humanity. All of my, all of my social media is all liberating humanity. Liberating humanity is all about healing. It's all about healing, not just healing the children, but more important, healing the adults. I've realized that my role is not just rescuing the 10-year-old from the clutches of a trafficker in, in Colombia. My role is to help every good man and woman do their own undercover child rescue mission and rescue the 10-year-old inside of their own soul. That child that wasn't given the love that they need, that, that was abused in some way a lot. And, and this is, this is um, as, as we help to alleviate the PTSD of our operators, we also realized that there were tools that could help men and women who were abused as children themselves release that trauma, trauma that they've been holding on for a long time. Now, let me just touch on this because I think this is important. Eradicating child trafficking is not going to happen from just going undercover and pulling 20 children out at a time. The reason being is that every time we pull 20 kids out of hell, if not enough was being done to fix the demand, then another 20 children were being sucked back into that horrific space to fill that demand. And so, so I had to ask myself, where is that demand coming from? Why is anybody interested in something that horrific? And I, I came to understand that, that as men, as men, one out of every five, 20% of all men have been a victim, have admitted 
that they were a victim of sexual violence at some time in their life. And one fourth of them, it was under the age of 10 years old in their own home. Now, the average age of somebody even speaking out about it is 52 years old. And the average man never says anything because he's like, oh, you know, that that will make me less of a man. That thing that happened to me as a, you know, I was I was eight years old. That was my uncle. I can't say anything. I'll be less of a man if I did. No, you won't. You were eight. You were eight years old. And that was somebody that was dealing with some horrific pain that was passing on that pain to that child. Helping that child heal will alleviate years of low self-esteem, anger issues, anxiety, depression. And in some cases, one out of every three, one out of every three men who deal with that kind of... Now, let me, God bless the two-thirds that, that, that never let that trauma be passed on. God bless them. They end up becoming warriors of light. They end up using that pain to ensure that that pain is never passed on to children but they still deal with their anger issues and sometimes verbal and physical abuse comes out because they're dealing with this trauma. But however, one in every three, one third, become contact offenders themselves if not given the love, the help, the healing that they need. So if we're going to, to eradicate child trafficking, we need to help 20, 30, 40-year-old men and women especially us men, deal with our trauma, get over our PTSD, get over that childhood trauma, release that in a way where we never, ever, ever pass that on, not only in sexual abuse, but in some cases, physical and verbal abuse as well. And so that's what my whole focus has been. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go there on this because I think it's important. Some people may not agree with this next two minutes, but I'll tell you what it is. There was um, back in the late 60s, President Nixon decided he was going to throw a bunch of things under the bus and classify these tools, these medicines as schedule one drugs. I'm talking about different types of psychedelics. Okay. I'm talking about micro, micro, microdosing. Yep. Yes. Sassafras and white lily and, and, and psilocybin. Psilocybin is mushrooms. Psilocybin, we, we've been taught our whole life, oh, that's super dangerous. You know, go to jail forever if you have some of that. It must be horrible. You get, there's been zero cases of addiction. There's been zero cases of overdose. You don't, this is safer than table sugar. And when used properly with a, with, in a guided meditation, and this was what transformed my life and every one of my operators who were dealing with that kind of, of pain and PTSD from being in the military, every, all of this stuff together, we could do 20 in 24 hours, get as much as 10 years of, of, of therapy done in 24 hours. Read, read a book called change your, change your mind. Another one called yep, the, was a, a great networks, Netflix series called change your mind. All absolutely. About and, and, and this is, this is something that releasing that pain of seeing children in chains, releasing the pain of 300, you know, operations that my Navy SEAL or my Green Beret friend had been, all of these things are, are things that we're able to release and come to a, a beautiful place of peace and a connection with God that is that is, is something you can't do any other place. And so we we started hosting, I've hosted and facilitated over 50 guided meditation, plant medicine, healing journey experiences. And we like the fully immersive. We're talking four and five days down in Latin America, a place where you take 10 men together, 20 men together, or five men and their wives together, whatever. We don't like a group any more than, than 10 or 15 people at a time and have them the first day talking through things and setting clear intentions. And then from there, 
being able to do a, a facilitator. I'm not a, I'm not an advocate of somebody just going and getting, you know, having a trip on mushrooms by themselves. But if you, if you have a guided meditation experience with a trained facilitator, the, the John Hopkins university did a study, 76% of people who do one of those say it was the number one, most transformational 24 hours of their life. So anyway, that's it. That's the, I'm, we're helping to change the laws in the U.S. I, I believe that MDMA will be um, approved through the FDA within the next six months. Psilocybin very close after that. We have states like Colorado and Oregon and California and now even Nevada who are, who are trying to, to have at least decriminalize the, the use of these tools in trauma therapy. So, and we're working with a lot of guys who are, who are helping vets uh, work with PTSD in miraculous ways using some of these tools. So, yep. And I have some friends that are green berets and they go to Peru every year, go on a ayahuasca retreat and they come back revitalized and, and change and transform. But, you know, yeah. let's get back to, you know, for the last couple of minutes, because now, you know, because we have that called the, reticulator activating system in the brain that, you know, what, whatever you look for, you're going to find. And that ever since I watched your show uh, and watched the movie and watched your interviews, now I'm seeing it and I'm hearing it everywhere. It's not just happening in, in Latin America, Europe. Kids are coming up missing in Ohio, California, New Jersey, everywhere across the United States. So as a father, I, I, my daughter's 11 years old. She's my soul and my heart. How can we help make sure that our kids are safe and they're not being taken and taken advantage of? That's the, that's the best question of all of them. Because <clears throat> that's on the minds of every parent when they leave the movie. People say, what can I do? How can I fix this? The, the worst thing you can do is go be a Rambo and go to Columbia and try to rescue kids. You're probably going to get shot, right? And you're going to get arrested if you don't have the right connection. So the best thing you can do is go home and hug your children. People say, well, how's that going to help? No, it helps a lot. Here's why. The majority of children that go missing here in the U.S., the majority of them, you never even hear about. Here's why. They're, 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 they're from broken families, runaways. They're, uh, they're in the foster, a broken foster care program where the traffickers can, can bring and lure these children out. They, they, don't, they don't get all the media all over them because you don't have an affluent family that's, that's trying to figure out where their child went. Okay, so to keep them from being trafficked, yes, those are making sure that that you have a solid nuclear foundation of your 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 family family at home, a solid nucleus there. But more important than that are these numbers of your daughters. Okay, every man who's listening today, one out of every four women have been a victim of sexual violence as a child. 92% of the cases, it was a familial member, if, meaning a, a neighbor or an extended family, a parent even in some cases. So you need to have, the best way to keep your children safe is to have a relationship with your children that they can easily and comfortably come to you and talk about things that they're uncomfortable with. Things like, like you need your, your daughter to very easily come to you and say, hey, dad, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't feel good when you make me hug Uncle Harry when he comes over because it just makes me feel weird. 
right? Or I, I don't I don't like going to this friend's house because her brother hugs me and 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 slaps me on my bum when I do. Or or I don't uh, my our babysitter is is having us watch pornography and um and tells us that we should trust her more than you. These are grooming behaviors. And statistically, the chances of your daughter being taken in a by traffickers and put in a container ship and taken to another country, statistically, that's very, very low. That doesn't happen very often. However, there's a very high probability, one in four, that your daughter, by the time she's 18, is going to be a victim of sexual violence. And she won't say anything. The average age even of women who say something about it is 52 years old. And they hold that trauma in for decades. So making sure that they're super comfortable coming to you and saying, hey, this happened to me. One of the reasons why the traffic children recover and they're resilient so quickly is because we know they've been trafficked and they can immediately get the psychological help that they need to recover at that young age. If your daughter is being abused in any way and is holding it in, She'll be 20 and 30 and 40 years old holding on to this low self-esteem, this anxiety, this depression, these anger issues, because it wasn't resolved when it was uh, when it was an injury immediately. And it's been festering for years. And so being able to, to have her, even if something weird happened at school, you know, hey, these these five kids came and held me down at recess and did these things to me and you know, touched me here, whatever else. She needs to have a relationship with you where she can come and say, This happened to me. So immediately you can have some intervention, help her to heal through that trauma so that it doesn't stay with her forever. And especially your young men, because them holding on to that trauma is one of the causes of, of so much PTSD, so much anger issues. And like I say, one in every three of them end up passing that trauma on. We can save millions of children by helping heal those at any age, helping heal those who have dealt with some kind of issue before. Okay. Now I just want to say, I just want to say something before we go on real quick. You know, I've always believed that it, like when I wake up in the morning, every morning I wake up, I get my coffee, my energy drink. I go kiss my daughter on the forehead and I say, good morning, beautiful. I love you. And then she sees me kissing her mother telling her, good morning, honey, you look beautiful today, and I kiss her. And I, I think a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times if a, a daughter, even son, if they feel loved and appreciated by their parents, it's a lot, I mean, you know, it might still happen, but it's a lot less likely for them to be promiscuous or to get into trouble when they get older if they know they were valued and loved from the beginning. Have you? Yes. You know, Giving, ever, like that? Your, your child's there. There's two gifts that you can give your child that are better than anything that you could ever buy. Number one is healthy self-esteem. And number two is a relationship with their creator, a relationship with God. Those two things will carry them through everything. Now, how do you have a healthy self-esteem? Yes, by telling them that they're loved. But your relationship with your spouse plays a bigger role than you can imagine on your child's self-esteem. When they see mommy and daddy who truly love each other and who both of them love that child, love that little girl, that little boy unconditionally, Regardless of what mistakes they made, your love will never falter and God's love will never falter. 
once they realize that their love from God and their love from you is truly unconditional, and they see that healthy relationship with your spouse, and they feel that love from God and from you and your, your spouse, those will give them those gifts that will carry them through anything in life. Okay, so now I wanted, you know, before the last couple of minutes, and I said we'd go an hour or so, I'm trying to be respectful of your time. Um, but I'm a big Jim Caviezel fan. I love Jim. Um, I wish I could remember the movie where he played the firefighter. Um, and I've watched it. Oh, anytime it's on, I watch it. Um, I've watched The Passion of the Christ, I don't know, 20 times. Because that movie's so great. I love Jim Caviezel. But once he... Once everybody knew that he was a Christian, he got ostracized in Hollywood. And then they put out this movie, everything kind of got ostracized. And it seems like the Christian community came out in force to support you guys. And which yeah. I was amazing because, I mean, you guys were crushing other movies that had huge buzzage. And, you know, Disney wouldn't even put your movie out. But, you know, it seems like people showed up. But you also got a lot of haters once the movie came out. And, and I know, you know, Tim got wrapped up in some stuff, and then they try to get you on some stuff just trying to create <laughs> havoc. So yeah. what was that like <clears throat> afterwards when you're trying to do a good thing and then you're getting shit on by a lot of different people? What was that like? Yeah, I, I you know, if you, if you want to play small, you know, get a garden on a river with a, you know, with a, get a house on a river with a garden and a gun. And, you know, for a while I thought that's the life I want to live. Screw people. But I realized that the only way to, to fulfill my promise to God and to that child, that first day of dedicating my life to eradicating this evil, the only way to do that is, is to, to create this movement and create this movie. In fact, I was fully undercover until just a month or two before we, um, before we signed a deal with, with Angel Studios. And God was telling me, you have to go public. And I was told that, you know, you're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get ugly. There's going to be people that throw rocks, you know, I, I, and that's okay. You hold to your truth, hold to your truth, and light will prevail. Now, understand that nobody's perfect. Jim Caviezel's not perfect. Tim Ballard's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Eduardo Varosky, I mean, all these guys, we all have our, we're all humans. And, um, but at the same time, I am not ashamed of anything that I did while I was doing undercover work, while I was, every part of it was necessary as, as this, this movement to, to create an end to child trafficking. And, um, when we, when we put together the movie in the beginning, we, um, we talked to Paramount and, and Sony and Lionsgate and others, and they, they were interested, but they wanted to be able to take the storyline and twist it to whatever that what met their, their narrative. And we thought, no, that's not going to work. We're going to go out ourselves. I was, I became the, the primary investor. I was the first investor in the movie. And, um, and, and we put together the entire script so that we have everything locked in. This is what the movie will be. And, uh, and then, then we realized that, that big Hollywood and, and, that we didn't want them to be involved. We, we needed to have some people who had the right heart. Alejandro Monteverde is a man of God. He
he is a man of integrity. And as the, the, uh, the director did a magnificent job in creating this work of art, but, but I, there's probably going to be more crap of people throwing things out that uh, are going to try to throw this entire movement under the rug because Jim Caviezel was speaking at a, a QAnon event or because Tim Ballard had some um, relationships with people outside of his marriage. And, you know, because of, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of crap out there and it is what it is. Children are being sold. That does not take away from the message at all. And, and yeah, there was a undercover operations where, where I was in precarious positions with very dangerous people. One of my podcasts, I go into detail and I, it'll take 15 minutes to go through it all, but we were in a very dangerous place, very dangerous people. And the, the traffickers brought out these, these girls from this, this club, very obvious that they weren't minors. And, uh, but he, he's like, you know, uh, you, uh, you, uh, you like this, this is, this is what your boss is looking for you whatever. And, and pulled up one of her blouses. And I was sitting there with my operators undercover and the trafficker, six foot four guy had killed people before, picks up my hand and moves it forward. If I had pulled it back, I would have been shot right there, right there for sure. No doubt about it. She wasn't a minor. And I, I, I touched her boob. Great. Look it up online. Producer of sound of freedom movie touches victims breast while undercover. When, when they were brought to the rescue mission, those, those girls that were brought from that, that club, the federal agents in Mexico identified them as all 19, 20, and 21 years old, right? But e that's irrelevant. Even if they were 16, like he said they were, that was irrelevant. We were there working with the Mexican federal police and 23 victims now are in a position where they never have to be have their bodies sold by these traffickers to foreigners that are coming down to do these horrible things. So I do not regret anything. I acted with integrity and I, and I feel good. I can, I can stand before God today, him knowing that I acted with, with pure integrity on that mission and the others as we helped identify these children. And I love it. Like I said, that's why I wanted to make sure that, you know, this, this show is no BS, no fluff. <laughs> We want to make sure that every, you know, people know what really happened. But also tell us about the OUR because I never knew about the OUR until I started doing my due diligence after the movie and started doing yeah. my studying. I think that's, so, you know, I think it's amazing. So talk about that. So, so here's the thing. I, um, I worked as a, as an undercover operator identifying children that uh working with OUR in fact I was on their their very first board of directors of, right in the beginning um and then had to make the choice they said you can't be on the board and do undercover so I chose to do undercover work instead got off the board of directors and continued to do operations for years 5 years ago I actually made a hard break a separation 5 years ago that the movie was already finished we had we had brought in um, we had brought in uh, eight different rescue missions and and stories from from a lot of different operators and had to put them into a storyline with just a few characters in the movie. And um, and I I had witnessed some things that I wasn't comfortable with with that with the foundation at the time. And so I separated from OUR and from Tim Ballard five years ago. Complete hard separation to the. Uh, and now I never would throw them under the bus, nothing. I, anybody, in my mind, anybody who is creating awareness of child trafficking and, and creating a movement in any way, 
I can keep doing what you're doing. But for me and my time, I was going to donate my money to a bunch of these Navy SEALs and Green Berets, these operators who, who had left OUR themselves. They didn't, they weren't interested in playing that energy with, with Tim either. And they're like, you know what, we're done with this. So I was helping to fund their missions and continue to do so today. So our foundation is the Child Liberation Foundation. And we help to fund the, uh, we continue to fund the, the rescue, rehabilitation, reuniting of children with their families. We continue to fund majority of our, our money is going into healing, healing the children and creating expansions on the, the safe houses with the healing retreats. And the big part of my focus is in liberating humanity as a whole so that we can save millions of children by helping the adults heal and work through their issues as well. And I love it. Now, something that I love that you really did uh, with the movie is some people, maybe they couldn't afford to go or some people were just like, you know what? I just sometimes I'll somebody will be like, you want to go to the movies? And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to spend my money. And they'll be <laughs> like, well, I'll treat you. OK, I'll go just because you're going to treat me. But a lot what you guys actually gave out a lot of free tickets for people to go watch it. And I think that created a, a bigger buzz because people that weren't expected to be touched were really touched when they got there because it wasn't what they expected, right? Yeah, well, and, and all the credit goes to Angel Studios with that. They, you know, as, as you may know, Angel Studios is the group that brought the TV series, The Chosen, one of the most beautiful um, uh, films uh, a TV series on the life of Christ. It's absolutely amazing how well they did with the TV series The Chosen. And they have a they have a grassroots movement with good good men and women, most of them Christians who who of course supported The Chosen, who when they when they were wanting to take this to the world, we wanted to take it from the people, by the people, to the people. You know, this was funded by the people, not by big Hollywood. It's me and, and some other families and stuff that did it, and uh, and to the people. And then with the the tickets and so many millions of good good people coming forward saying yes, I want to I want to be a part of this. I want to make a make a movement. I want to help other people see what's going on and find ways that they can keep their children safe. So now. Because now, like I said, brother, I'm so appreciative of you. I love you as a brother in Christ, and I'm so grateful that Eric put us together. And I love Eric. Um, so, where can we find the movie now? And also, how can we help support your mission so our children, even if they were hurt, can heal? So the, the trauma stops with us. So, how, how do we go about doing that? Absolutely. You can go online today. Just, uh, uh, in fact, Apple, Apple TV, you can download the, the movie for $20 right now on Apple TV. We have, we just signed a contract with Amazon and, uh, very soon you'll be able to download it on Amazon as well. Um, I believe it's also available online on YouTube. So worldwide, you can download it. You can watch it in your own homes right now on your Apple TV and very soon at Amazon. And, uh, and I think it will, it will touch the lives of everybody in your family who hasn't had a chance to see it. Now, to find me, you can go on to Instagram or Facebook or anywhere. Just look up liberating, L-I-B-E-R-A-T-I-N-G. Put on liberating, liberating.humanity. Uh, I come up first if you just type in liberating and you can you can hear so many stories and so many get so many tools. In fact, you can go to liberatinghumanity.com and uh, there's a lot of, of tools there, not only um, 
some things you can use to keep your children safe, some courses on, on, uh, on, on self-defense, some meditation courses, some different prayer tools that you can use to connect with God. These are all tools that we're collaborating together with healers around the world to help people heal from their trauma, give them tools to keep their children safe, all of that available on Liberating Humanity. If you want to be part of what we're creating with the foundation, with the Child Liberation Foundation. You can donate a dollar a month. You can donate $100 a month. You can donate a thousand, whatever. You can just do a one-time donation. Go to liberatechildren.org, liberatechildren.org. You can just look up the Child Liberation Foundation, but liberatechildren.org. And you can, you can get all the information you need there. Find ways to keep your kids safe there as well. I love it. So guys, make sure you follow him on Instagram. I also have been following the Sound of Freedom on Instagram. I've been following the Sound of Freedom on TikTok. I just started following that and you guys have a lot of great stuff going on there. So guys, make sure that you follow follow my brother Paul. Um you guys, I just want to say um like my t-shirt says, you know, I'm a big Joel Osteen guy and I believe when he says that cuz I've been abused, I you know, I've I've been, gone through a lot but I believe today I get to decide to be a victim or be a victor. And if you guys are watching this show right now, you have the choice to no longer be a victim. Now you can be the victor. And I think, cause like you said, like in my town, I'm in charge of helping all the kids stay off alcohol and drugs. Um, 5,000 adolescents a day in the United States are attempting suicide. But there's a lot of kids out there hurting. And if the kids are hurting, the parents are hurting. So if the parents start healing, I think the kids will start healing. So I just wanted to say that, guys. Today, I decide. Guys, make the right decision. Become victors. No longer be the victim. Paul, brother, my, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Guys, so make sure you check out The Sound of Freedom. I'm probably going to watch it again because now I have some better insights with talking to Paul. I love you guys. And remember, check out verticalmomentumpodcast.com. All of our T-shirts, hats, coffee, everything goes to help veterans struggle with PTSD and homelessness. I don't make any money off of it. I'm just trying to change my my world in my little way. So I love you guys. Paul, brother, thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Truly an honor. Have a great week. You too. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.